0: You're listening to... Whoa!
1: Hot luck! And you're listening to Book and boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Nurek.
0: And I'm Ri Yu.
1: And we are here at the beginning of the fall. Hope y'all had a happy Mid-Autumn Festival slash chuseok. Um, Isn't it strange that the festival is called Mid-Autumn, but it's at the beginning of fall.
0: Is is that what it, like, directly translates to for, for you guys? Because, uh, like, our, our holiday is, like, Chuseok, but it's also Hangawi uh, mm-hmm. or Hangawi, and that means, like harvest moon, i'm i'm guessing so oh ours is more by like
1: i thought yours also meant mid-autumn ours is you know
0: what i'm gonna i'm gonna check because <laughs>
1: <laughs> Our, ours, ours is literally which is mid-autumn festival
0: i don't want to like be a bad korean and not the thing is like my my family celebrates chuseok but they started like Actually, celebrating it like in the states after I went to college, <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't count. Um, okay, yeah, so Chuseok means autumn evening, and then Hangawi, which is like a different name for it, also means uh, the great middle of autumn. So, okay, yeah. so
1: yeah, it's essentially the same holiday, it's, yeah. It's essentially I, I imagine it has the same roots, you know, yeah, probably brought over by Chinese imperialist when we took over your country
0: but but yeah it like celebrates the harvest moon though which is yeah. why like we fall e- even though it's like mid-autumn it's <laughs> it, it changes isn't every it year essentially
1: what um american thanksgiving is isn't thanksgiving a harvest festival as well or is that
0: i don't know i don't know. like thanksgiving is another holiday where like i don't quite understand it either <laughs>
1: Like <laughs> i mean it, it all corresponds with celebrating the harvest right like you, you plant your seeds in spring. You harvest throughout the summer, and then in the fall, you celebrate the bounties of the land. I imagine like most cultures have something similar. Um, uh, just depends on what your you know what the agricultural cycle is in your country, right?
0: Yeah, I guess so. And also, if you're like indigenous, it's also like a different holiday for yeah. uh, for Thanksgiving. Yeah. But yeah, like we we pass the most Asia- is it would you consider it like the most asian holiday?
1: <laughs> it's this and it's the spring festival which is lunar new year. Yeah. Um those are the two big ones.
0: I feel like with us like Chuseok is bigger cuz we get like a 3-day holiday.
1: Oh. And
0: it's like the holiday where you go back to your hometown to like uh you know, clean up your ancestors grave and all of that, so
1: Oh, yeah. We have one, too. That's called Qimingje. When is that? I don't remember what it is.
0: We're such bad Asians. We don't know our own holidays.
1: I mean, these holidays are all on the lunar calendar, which means it changes every year, too. Like, um, I don't know if any of your, your parents have birthdays on the lunar calendar. My father has a birthday on the lunar calendar. So every year, I need to go check out one of those like Chinese calendars I get from like the local um, supermarket. And find his birthday because it's on a different day each year.
0: Wow, that's, <laughs> and you, you guys don't celebrate it like in a in a normal Gregorian
1: no. calendar? My, no, we celebrate it whenever his birthday is in the lunar calendar.
0: That's so strange. <laughs> um, But no, we, we don't, yeah, my parents don't do that. Oh, although like for for like Chuseok and like Lunar New Year, I used to like get chastised because they would be like, how do you not know that it's like Chuseok like or Lunar <laughs> New Year? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's because it changes every freaking year. And I have like, like, I'm not <laughs> responsible.
1: Yeah, it's one of those childhood immigrant things where I rely on my parents to tell me when these holidays are because they're different each year. Um. You I mean, now,
0: the, now you have, like, apps, but, like, back in our day, yeah, now you, you needed, it, like, a freaking calendar.
1: <laughs> I mean, you can also tell because that's when you start seeing mooncakes coming out at the local Costco. Riru and I both have a local Costco that is a quote-unquote Asian Costco. So that's we get true. the mooncakes that come out during this time of year.
0: Yeah, but, like, mooncakes is Chinese, though. Like I was like really upset that like my local uh, my local H Mart didn't have songtian and I'm just like oh it's all mooncakes not <laughs> it's not Korean it's uh, <laughs> they only care about the Chinese Mid Autumn Festival I like I can't like I'm sure other Asian countries like celebrate Mid Autumn Festival and they probably feel the same where I mean, it's like it's been commandeered. <laughs>
1: To be fair, I think it's mostly Chinese people going to H yeah. Smart anyways. You're gonna have to go to K-town for like your I know your... I'm
0: not I'm not driving that far. <laughs> and also like I, I'm not domestic. I, I don't want to learn how to make it. I, I think I learned how to make it in Korean school, but that was like easy because they provided all of the ingredients. Whereas like I'm an adult now and I would have to like make yeah everything from scratch. And I'm not about that life. I mean, I am a millennial, I want like everything prepared for
1: me (laughs) what is the traditional korean like treat for mid-autumn or so it's called
0: it's called so it's pretty much like a sticky rice cake that's shaped in like a half moon not, not like yeah i would say like a half moon so uh you fill it with like honey and pine nuts so it's like very sweet and uh like all sticky rice cakes you like steam it um oh. very different from yeah that's from totally different from a cake <laughs> and i'm pretty sure like there's like i think it was songpyeon um like if you are able to make a really nice songpyeon like really well-shaped songpyeon like it means that you'll have a pretty daughter oh, so like you know like parents sounds... and grandparents are just like <laughs> oh like you need to learn how to make these pretty otherwise like your daughter or your children won't look attractive. And I'm like, wow, that is like the most Korean thing I've ever heard, where they would put appearance above anything else.
1: Always love a layer of patriarchy on top of our, our heritage and traditions. Oh, God. That I wonder
0: is, how much of this conversation is going to be kept in. I'll keep but, it all.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. That is to say, um, props to my dad for decolonizing his birthday. That's all I want to say. Um <laughs> But yeah, we're not here to talk about culture and traditions and heritage, although we did just talk about it for like five minutes. We are here because we have another great author interview for you. We have author C.B. Lee, uh, who is joining us for the third time on this podcast. We had her on a few years ago to talk about her psychic series, of which the first book, Not Your Sidekick, was one of our book club picks. Uh, we had her back once again at Comic-Con to talk about just authors at Comic-Con. And now we have her back once again to talk about her latest book that just came out this past week, A Clash of Steel, which is part of Fable and Friends' um, Classics Remix Project, uh, where they take classic stories and remix it with a more multicultural lens. So um, A Clash of Steel is Stevie's take on the classic um, Robert Louis Stevenson book, Treasure Island.
0: Yes, uh, it is set in 1826, and it's set during the golden age of piracy uh, around the South China Sea, and um, one of the characters is based on an actual historical figure, uh, the Chinese pirate queen, uh, Zhang Yixiao, also known as Shi. and um, yeah, it's like very interesting because we don't really... Like when we think of pirates, we think of like Peter Pan's Captain Hook, like Yarg, but um, <laughs> Asia had pirates too. And it seems, it sounds like Asian pirates were overachievers.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's cool to see CB take that piece of history and um, bring it to life. And, you know, as you hear from our interview, she did a ton of research on this period and like read a lot of historical texts to bring us the story
0: yeah so i hope you guys all enjoy our talk with cb
1: and we're here with cb lee the author of a clash of steel and a three-peat guest on books and boba welcome back to the show cb
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: For those of you who did not listen to our previous episode with CB, she is also the author of the Sidekick Squad series. Uh, We talked to her about uh, her first book in the series, Not Your Sidekick. Uh, It's super great. Go read it. But we are here to talk to her about her newest book, A Clash of Steel, which comes out September 7th. Uh, but it's been a number of years since we've talked to uh, Carrie on this show. So how have you been?
2: It's been good. It's been it's been exciting to see like I, I it, this is actually also the fifth year anniversary of Not Your Sidekick coming out. <laughs> so it's 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 been in like, you know, it's been such a wonderful journey to have those milestones and to like be able to continue to write stories and. Um, You know, I never thought as a young writer like that, you know, I would have this opportunity and I'm just, you know, excited to be here, excited to continue to tell stories in in new ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, like when we started this podcast, it was around the same time uh, Not Your Sidekick came out. So we're we're both celebrating our five year uh, milestone. And it's just great because we're seeing so many debut authors that Mm -hmm. we like came across when we first started those podcasts. And now they Mm -hmm. have like five, six books under their belt. And it's like, (laughs) wow, you guys are veterans now. It's, it's amazing. There's like an actual, uh, like, I, I remember like when we recorded our previous episode with you, we were joking how, You guys were creating a subgenre of Asian American superheroes with like uh, Sarah Kuhn and you and uh, a bunch of other Asian American authors. And I just feel like uh, we've just been expanding Mm -hmm. uh, what Asian Americans can do in literature. And it's just amazing that a lot of it has come from uh, authors from like 2015, 2016. And it's just (laughs) been amazing to see everyone grow, including yourself. Thank you. Yeah, it's been exciting. It's funny because like Sarah Kuhn and I
2: actually met because we both had um so heroin complex came out the same year uh, same summer that uh Not Your Sidekick did. And so we both were like, Hey, you wrote an Asian American superhero and you wrote an Asian. So like we were both like, Oh yes, this is exciting. So it's a very specific like subgenre. Um and um the like, that series has got, like, there's so many books in the Heroin Complex series now. It's amazing. um And I'm so excited for Sarah and, like, getting to see so many other authors, like, have opportunities to, like, write for Star Wars or, like, do, like, r- write for, like, different IPs or or to just have... So many new spectacular works and like debut authors. I feel like every time I turn the corner, there's another debut author who's like, hello, I'm new and I'm writing this story about like, like, you know, anything and everything. And I'm like, so excited.
1: Yeah. What? a. I mean, I don't want to say. I mean, yeah, I'll say it. Like, there's been so much progress since since 2015, 2016, you can say it's the awareness that like 2018 brought with all the, all the movies. But I mean, I feel like this momentum has been in books, at least in, in literature has been building for way longer than that. Mm-hmm. And.
2: Oh yeah. It's been building for a while. Yeah. Like I think Ash um, by Melinda Lowe celebrated a 10 year anniversary. um, And it's, you know, there's been Asian American writers for, you know, as long as there have been Asian Americans. And so. <laughs> Um, getting to see and celebrate um, the work that has come before. And like, I'm I'm just excited for the future.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you have so many more colleagues now in the YA space. It's,
2: it's <laughs> yeah, it's great.
1: Sure. I, I think um, we've been doing a lot of author interviews with YA authors for the last few mm-hmm. months. So I've read so, just so many rom-coms, but they're all, they're all a lot of fun because they're telling Asian American stories. And mm-hmm. who, who knew that I would read so many. Y a rom-coms.
0: <laughs> I'm just I'm just picturing like at uh, book festivals, like the authors kind of like congregate like it in like the uh dining room or whatever. And I'm uh-huh. like, now there's like a table full of Asian American authors. Like before it was like two or three people, and it's like now there's now there's like two, three tables, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. Um so we're here to talk about a clash of steel. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the premise to our listeners.
2: Sure. Um, so, a clash of steel is part of the remakes classic series, which takes um, on works, um, you know, literary works that have been known and re, you know, reimagines them um, through the lens of different authors. Um, so, a clash of steel is um you know is the story about two young girls who are setting off to search for the treasure of Zheng He? who was a real life um historical figure um and a total badass <laughs> she was a like a chinese pirate legend who's arguably like the most successful pirate in all of history um and i uh you know i took the like sense of adventure and the like um when when i say remix it's it's not so much of a retelling as a straight up like like i'm i want to like eat the canon into the sun <laughs> and um literally like write like and this is something that like i've talked with other authors in the re- remix classic series about oh, like what we're we're doing with our work is that like you know we're looking at these classics and saying like you know why have these been the works that have been lauded as like the canon or like why are these the works that are lauded as valuable and as a classic and showcasing a, a, a you know, a history that people might not have known um, is incredibly important to us and showing that like, Hey, like stories from like marginalized cultures are, are important. And, and like, I, you know, I want young readers to feel like they deserve to, to be recognized that their stories are, are valid and, and worthy of, of having a, a legacy.
0: Yeah, like um when I first heard about the remix series, I was reminded of um this debacle that happened a couple of years ago with like the with a lot of like uh American English classics. They were being repackaged so that the covers would have um marginalized characters, but the book was the same. It was mm-hmm. just they were um putting a new shiny cover and it was just like, well, the content is still the same. The characters are still white, and there are some really problematic things in a lot of these books, so it's nice that there is a chance for uh marginalized characters to be in these stories, but they 're not as problematic <laughs> <laughs> and, and like Treasure Island is i, I don 't know why because like it's such a beloved. And it's been adapted so many times, and I don't understand it because, like, as a (laughs) child when I was reading it, I'm like, "Why is this considered a classic?" But, um, like, were you the one who picked Treasure Island uh, to remix, or was that assigned to you?
2: So, um, Emily Settle at Five One Friends from Macmillan reached out to me, um, so with the launch of the Remix Classic series, and you know, asked me to be if I would be interested in being a part of it. And, you know, I really connected with her vision and she asked if like I had any particular classic that I felt strongly about that I wanted to remix. And so she presented a number of them, including Treasure Island. And I thought about like what, um, you know, I'd always been fascinated by pirates. I have especially like had, um, you know, some information about like, auo and her legacy and I knew immediately that was where I wanted to start so I was like if I took I can I can I can make a story out of this right like I I can set a story in the South China Sea about the golden age of piracy and and you know with my, my particular identity it's very like important to me to write about like a young queer Asian girl and so um starting from there and I, that that's where I like you know this is the one that I feel like I can make, Make a story happen, and so that's where um, the choice to to remix Treasure Island came from. But in terms of like, um, and the story is a little different for each of the authors. But um, but um, Emily was like looking out for authors who were interested in in remixing classics, and and sometimes like there were you know sometimes she would have an idea like oh you might be a good fit for this one. Do you have an idea? Um, So it's it's not so much about like being assigned as like. Like, Macmillan was like, oh, we're looking for voices who would, who who have an interest in in doing this kind of project.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really a big brain genius move to, you know, take. Treasure Island is most famous for popularizing the modern conception of what a pirate looks mm-hmm. and talks yeah. like with Long John Silver and his like R's.
2: Yeah, his... it's a very romanticized, like, I think that that novel Really shaped the consciousness of like people's perceptions of pirates, and kind of started the whole fascination with like that very like salty language and like you know yo ho ho and bottle <laughs> yeah. of rum and like um like the very like that that spirit of adventure was what made it so popular in the first place because people were like like transported to another world.
1: Yeah. And, so mm-hmm. the use of like dong Sao in in this version, which you know, a lot of people don't know about unless, like, they have listened to that one episode of, like, Stuff You Missed in History class uh, the mm-hmm. pi- or maybe went down a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole, right? They, they mm-hmm. probably wouldn't know that the Chinese had pirates, mm-hmm. um, had a big navy at one point in the oh, history yeah. and, like, were, like, the most notorious pirates of the South China Sea and, like, the most notorious one is a, a woman. And I think that's really cool that people who read this book like we'll probably be surprised that this is an actual real person that you're, you're writing about.
2: Yeah. Like her legacy, like, like de- put me on drunk history, put me aware of her. Cause <laughs> I did so much research to like, get um, like, like learn about her life and every inch of it or like every step of it is fascinating. Right. Because she was no one. And then she, she like married um 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 like uh, a pirate captain first strong. And then like he was, you know, he was the captain of the the red flag fleet, And like, you know, the, at the time the pirates were all like these like scattered different bands. And so she really took on like a leadership role. And then after his death, um, which may or may not have been suspicious. Right. But, you know, <laughs> she's a pirate. Um, and so after his death, she started to like, you know, you basically like unite all of these different pirate fleets together, like the yellow. Like yellow flag fleet, the black flag, the black flag fleet. The, you know, there's different like at least five different squadrons, and like bring all these lieutenants under her command, and like streamline their like financial like (laughs) like made sure everyone was paid, made sure that like like this is how we're gonna like and like really became such a force to be reckoned with that like. There was nowhere you could go in the South China Sea without the pirates say so, right? There's like the British couldn't move their, their, their goods. The Americans couldn't. The Portuguese couldn't. And like, definitely not the, like the Qing dynasty, like the <laughs> emperor was just like, we need to figure out a way to stop them. And her whole, like her, um, her, her rise to power was so fascinating because it was such a, a might. Like she, like at the height of her command, she had, you know, literally the force of a small country behind her and and then um the rest of her story is just as fascinating because she literally retired from piracy and like went on to die of old, old age and like the chinese government were like actually can you like they were just like can you stop like can you like do we need we need you to stop like give up your ships and like she negotiated all these pardons for her lieutenants and they were like, they got cushy jobs in the Navy. And then she was like, well, actually I'm going to, I'm going to retire on my terms and you have to accept these terms. Otherwise, like, you know, what can you do? Right. I've got, I'm holding you at siege. Um, You're, you're, you want me to stop, but you know, I'll, I'll stop because I want you. And so she like kept a bunch of her ships and like continued to smuggle and run a gambling house. And, and like, then,
0: you know, Settled down. and badass life. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Settled down, became queen of the underworld, and then died of old age. Like, how many, like, crime lords can you say have
0: died of old age? Yeah,
1: yeah some should make, like, uh, the Godfather movie about her life. That'd be three movies right there. The
0: <laughs> I'm surprised that there aren't uh, that many adaptations of Jung uh, Yi Sao, because, like she's such a fascinating character and mm-hmm. also just when we think of pirates it's right. like pirates of the caribbean right, right? and right like i remember like was it the third movie where they like it was like a, a round table of just right they pirates. had a character inspired by her yeah like, like mistress ching bit. or whatever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i was just like Oh, they're are like Asian pirates. Uh, they seem to be more interesting. <laughs> like <Yeah>. why? <laughs> like why did they make like five movies of like the same type of pirates? Well, I like it's beyond me.
1: Like, well, just... didn't they have Chong that and his his whole role being there is to give Kira Knightley a ship?
2: Yeah, that was. <sighs>
1: They first on the
2: They had Chow yun Fat in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I it was totally like the forgot third movie.
1: That. Yeah. And... His entire his his entire the entire reason for him being there is to die and give command to Kira Knightley's character. Wow.
0: Yeah. yeah oh, he, I totally forgot that. They they take like the first couple of scenes take place in Singapore, and mm-hmm. you know, like he's kind of shown as like the big bad pirate of like the uh southeast sea and it's like really like there's this badass like woman pirate who like took over pretty much the trade routes of, <laughs> like of like the 1800s like you're yeah. not going to put her in in this film about yeah. pirates it's it's crazy um but we talked about like you you briefly mentioned like research how you can <laughs> be on like drunk history and <laughs> just like uh, I just want to ask, like, what was your research process like? Did you look at maps? Did you look at, like, primary uh, sources? Like, what was your process like for researching this book?
2: It was a lot. I definitely dived into, like, um, I did a lot of research um, on the academic side, like, just look reading a lot of journals, um, looking at the footnotes, reading the footnotes of footnotes, and then getting, like, I, like, got like out of print books off of eBay. I like read um you know read the works of like Asian American scholars who had a particular interest in this time. And you know I I, I also looked at like primary documents and I ha- I worked with a translator who could help me like like decipher like like I'm looking at maps, right? And I'm like what is like like that was so helpful. Um definite shout out to Jeanette Wu who helped me um translate a lot of documents and and Textbooks that otherwise, like I would not have been able to to um to add to my research. So there's a lot of helpful information there, um, and a lot of it too is like understanding the like his like as I'm like excavating this history. Right, it's fascinating how much of it is not. Like, it's it's such a special interest. Right. And if you look online, if you Google like Ching Shi or Yi Sao, like you're going to see the same like three, four, four, five facts cited over and over again because they're all citing the same person. And they're not like like that's what's on Wikipedia. That's what's on like, you know, uh, you know, even the like most famous JSTOR article but like getting the story behind the story took a lot of work. Like I like just even the, like the final siege um, during like um, like getting to understand what those battles, how those transpired was like um, like the battle, of the tiger's mouth where, which was like a huge turning point in the, like the last days of the red banner fleet um, before like a, a lot of, sh- you know, they were disbanded or people were retiring Um I was looking at, like, historical, like, documents and journals from, like, the perspective of the Portuguese, the perspective of the British, the perspective of the Americans. Because everyone has a different take, right? Like, no one wants to ad- admit that, like, these, like, ragtag pirates kick their ass. So they're like, oh, like, my sh- like in this battle, like, this many ships were lost. Or, like, this, we, we kept, you know, we... This these were the casualties I'm like and then like you read between the in the lines so I was like oh you actually like lost this <laughs> battle um, but you're spinning it in a way that like you won and like there's like you know back and forth right with like this happened and this happened and like piecing together all these different accounts was really challenging but also a lot of fun it brought me back to my, like, my grad school days where I was just like doing research upon research and <laughs> hiding out in the library so Definitely took advantage of, like, like, JSTOR was free during the pandemic. So um, definitely took advantage of that. Um, and, you know, going down that
0: rabbit hole of research.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it certainly
0: does sound like a rabbit hole.
1: Well, Zengisao is obviously the background of this story. But the story is really about the adventures of um, Shang, who is your your main character. Um, the, what was the main character of Treasure Island? There was some boring name, Jim, Jim right?
2: Yeah, Xiang. Um, I was a complete like, is, is an original character. So, like, the historical figures in the book are like Zheng Yi Sao and Zheng Bo Sai, and so, and like, you know, the like, you know, actual historical pirates, but everyone else was like invented for the sake of the novel where I wanted to tell the story about this young girl. Um, and like, the like, you're not gonna find. Because this is a remix, it's not a straight, straight up like I'm not trying to follow the the structural beats of Treasure Island at all. So you're not going to find like this is the Jim Hawkins character, this is the Long John Silver's character, this is the you know. I wanted to have because w- once you take the story and you you change the setting, you change the the main character. Like Shang's desires and and journey her, drive her like her desire to have more right to to see. Um, beyond what society is, is, is expecting of her is what drives her to like go after the treasure, right? And so there's like some nods to treasure island where I have like, you know, the tea house burns down and that's kind of like a catalyst for, um, for setting off. But like the, the, the main character, she really like, I, I hope that people like enjoy her journey and, and, you know, see that like, her her you know her determination her strength and like you know the it's it's about finding treasure but also like finding yourself along the way
1: <laughs> yeah and i mean i mean you say that you didn't map the characters like one on one with with the original story but i saw i did see shades of long john in your other um i guess protagonist on who is the type of person who's super friendly but you're never sure if you can trust her uh-huh. Um, but I, I really love that. I, I, in my brain, I was like, "Oh, so C B decided. What if Jiang was a girl and also a romance option for the character <laughs> Yeah, I was just like,
0: I was just like, "Yeah, sword fighting, but make it gay." With- <laughs> yes, I love that scene <laughs> with, love, with like, hot girls. Yes, yes.
2: Um, I I think An always like was going to be like this like fun, roguish character, and you get to see like her relationship with Xiang, um, and like how they like grow to like trust each other um was is really fun to write um that's that's really uh, no one has ever picked like like interpreted that as like she's the long john silver character i was like oh that's that's a fun um that was i definitely didn't intend that that, but that was like that could work sure uh i think if anyone anyone is like long john is 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 more likely Aunt's mother captain hua um because she is the captain and she like but not so much in the sense that like hmm hmm. i don't know there's there's a lot there's a lot there if if we were to try and map it one to one i don't think it would work but yeah um, but
1: i was like oh so this is the character i'm not going to trust but then they obviously want to kiss the entire time but
0: yes (laughs) yeah the, the simmer was there definitely um yeah, you mentioned uh, Captain Hua, and I was really, well, not surprised, but like I really liked the fact that there were so many uh, different types of female characters, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just all feminine characters. Uh, you have characters who, you know, are very, um, I guess, like masculine in terms of like athleticism and manner, and you have like, Different uh, women captains. It was just, it was just really nice to have so many examples of strength of of like women strength. And Mm -hmm. I just want to like ask, like, did you think to like have so many like women in your book? I I know that's like an odd question to ask, but it's a book about pirates, but there are so many women captains, and they have like, and they're just like absolute bosses. And that's not something that we usually see in in piracy canon
2: yeah i i definitely intentionally wanted to show a lot of different types of strength in in um in captaincy and in being a woman and that there isn't like a wrong way to be a woman i think there's you know the there's the the danger of that trope that like you know this is the exceptional woman who is strong despite of or like she's eschewing feminine qualities because of like the masculine qualities are better or whatever um, and that's a very specific trope that we see in like films and TV and and like where it's like this woman is succeeded because she's the exception to like, she's not like other girls. Right. And so I wanted to show like different types of ways to be strong. So we have like um, Xiang's mother, who is a very shrewd businesswoman. And we have Captain Hua and we have all the different women on on the crew of the Huen Vu itself. And so. Um, getting to like write the crew was really fun because I have different, and I wanted to sh- show also like there's different types of like, like, you know, you have Ling Shan, who's like very skilled with a sword, but she also comes from a background of being a courtier. And then Mian who is a, who is a, uh, who is a seamstress. And, you know, she, she takes pride in a lot of like skills that were considered like very feminine. And even Xiang learns that like, oh, wow, like this was really useful. Like I didn't, I, I like. I have a scene where she's um, talking with her about um, like embroidery and like you know, Xiang had always kind of dismissed these kind of skills as useless. But she was like, "Oh, you know what? They're not useless because it takes patience and it takes like like." And so, I wanted to show how how all of these different skills were useful, regardless of their their background.
1: Yeah. And knowing you, I had a, a little chuckle that like you included a Vietnamese like family in, in this story because you know you yourself are, are Chinese Vietnamese and mm-hmm. I love that you incorporated that because like at that this point in history, like they would have had a lot of contact and they would have had a lot of you know trade within in the sea. And um, I mean, was that um I imagine that was something that you um
0: had to research also.
1: Yeah, like was that something that that you um saw this as an opportunity to bring in? like Vietnamese characters as well. Um,
2: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely wanted to have a mix of like Chinese and Vietnamese characters. And like, actually the rise of piracy in the South China sea is a direct result of like, like it's all interrelated, right? Like the Taishan rebellion in Vietnam, like that was what kind of catalyzed, like, like, uh, like the Nguyen Lords were like, Hey, we're going to hook up with these pirates um, and like incorporate them into our, our, our Navy. And um that was kind of the start of like pirates gaining military experience and, and starting to work together. And then that's what, that was kind of the rise of like pirates working as fleets. And then after, after the rebellion, like they, con- they were just like, you know, we have all this experience and they're going to continue. And that was kind of like this, the beginning of the, the rise in, in piracy. And that's where you get all of these, like, you know, famous figures. That's where, um, during came from. And so he was originally, um, and, and a bunch of other guys were like originally, um, part of the, that war. And so entangling, like, like, and obviously with like, you know, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of conflict and tension, right. Also it was, like these two countries and the resources and people, um, and like getting to unpack that and getting to like, write about like, different aspects of my identity was really meaningful to me because i was like oh like i get to explore different um parts of my heritage and and have multiple characters that reflect that it was was really
1: great (laughs) you know i'm thinking about all the you know everything we get from like western pirate canon and Mm -hmm. man i really do want to see more from asian pirates because like junk ships are cool and like junk ships are really cool too (laughs)
2: They were like, that was a huge advantage. And this is like my nerdery coming through learning about like boats and sailing. And one of the things that a junk was um better for the area where you have like, you know, the Pearl river Delta, the red river Delta, like all of these, like the, the junks were like flat bottom ships. So they were very fast. They were very mobile, especially in um, this environment. And so you have these like huge European ships that were like gi- literally giant tanks. Right. And then they're easily overpowered by these small tiny ships that were like, and a lot of the pirates, um, the fleet was made up of like these small ships. Like, yes, there were like the larger ones that were literally like floating fortresses. Um, I think Jer Jerome actually built like a temple on one of his. Oh my gosh. He, he was very extra. Um, but like the 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 dunk ship itself is such a like an iconic, like beautiful ship, and it's so like like how did they how learning how they worked learning um learning about that like the role of 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 this ship and how what they were capable of was was really a great part of the research
0: yeah when we think of um pirates like i was just i was just thinking like like when we think of pirates we think of like old pirates right like from the 1800s 1700s Uh, But people forget that there are modern pirates Mm -hmm. and I couldn't help but like notice in your author's note in the book, you talk about uh, your family and Mm -hmm. how they fled pirates. And um, just like, I'm I'm curious, like, did you talk to uh, your family about those experiences growing up and did that influence uh, you developing your uh, your pirate characters? Yeah, like it was definitely a big part like my mother would tell me about like, you know,
2: after Saigon she she left on a on a small fishing boat and it was literally the size of our li- like our living room. So, you know, she would tell she, you know, she would break out the story and like this was how big the ship was, this is how we were all sitting. There were like 40 to 50 of us crammed into the small boat. And this one of the stories that was like sh- so fascinating to me was like when the pirates boarded the ship um, they like let all the men off the ship. And so like everyone, all the refugees were terrified. Right. They were like, where are all the men going? Are they coming back? Are are they going to like kill them? And then the men came back after the pirates had like stolen their stuff. And right. The men came back and the, um, they had been fed a hot meal. Right. So it was just an interesting. And like my mom would tell me other stories that like, you know, like friends from uh, the refugee camp that like, you know this this boat was attacked by pirates, but this boat was also like saved by pirates. Like they were towed to safety. And so there's a lot of different, like like as a kid, right? You're taught that like good and bad, and who who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. And so there was never like a clear like who's a good guy, who's a bad guy in this story, in these stories, and these people because they're just and that really like influenced my thinking about like their people, right? There are people who had to make choices in a difficult time, and that was kind of the intention I wanted to bring to a clash of steel that i felt like like the original treasure island did not engage with cuz it's a very black and white picture that robert louis stevenson p- paints of like these are all the 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 villains in the story right and so i wanted to look more about like the individual choices that people were making and and kind of like you know look at this like imperialist society that you know forced people to become pirates and beggars and thieves
0: yeah yeah definitely you you see that um with like the different pirate characters because you you have like captain hua and like uh the uh the crew and it's like oh well they come from poverty they're doing this because uh you know they tried to make an honest living but you know they they were unable to feed their bellies and then you have uh you have like these uh shipmates who are like part of the navy and it's just you know like i i love the fact that there were uh different levels of like morality and how it was driven by like, like personal, uh, personal reasons. Um, but I want to talk about like the Vietnamese culture that's in your book. I w- I thought it was really interesting that you kept like the Vietnamese, uh, I guess, like Romanization I- mm-hmm. in the book. Cause like, uh, like I, you, you like kept like the Mandarin as like English so like what was your decision in in like okay like this is the language that's gonna stay foreign in my book uh
2: so that was primarily so Xiang's perspective the book is in Xiang's perspective it's a first person novel and so Xiang um I I did it I made that choice to for her understanding of the world where she grew up speaking like Cantonese and Mandarin. And so the Vietnamese that appears in the book is like how it would appear to her as, and then as she like learns more about the language, she likes starts to have more conversations where she understands what people are saying and, and take part. But like also the English is all like, like I don't even write out the English that's spoken because she, she has no way to like interpret <laughs> as, as like words. Um But like that was um that was definitely like, like working with like it's, Interesting writing a novel in English that is meant to be, like, heard in another language.
0: Yeah, e- Especially
2: with, like, my understanding of it. So, like, I wanted to... And even also, like, the romanization of the Vietnamese characters. Like, that's that's a more modern interpretation. But it's, I felt, it felt right to me because it's, like, what, like, the Vietnamese people, like, chose as their national, like, this is how we're going to romanize our characters with the diacritics and stuff. And like, you know, I had a historical note about this too, about like the, the, the romanization of Chinese words, I chose a more modern romanization because the old like Wade Giles, like, like system was, that was developed in like the 1800s was a very like Western and colonialized view of like, this is how we're going to spell these places. Right. And like those spellings became popular. Like I went down another rabbit hole, like what is the correct spelling of like Sichuan? right do you spell it with a z do you spell it with an s like um and that was kind of like like not just shishuan but like you know the the names of places like wangdong do you spell it with a k do you spell it with a g like and that that all came from like unpacking that kind of like western lens right because people like there's no there's there's until like the chinese government began to like like hey that this is how we're going to romanize our these sounds in our language there was all sorts of differing sounds and so i felt like that was also part of like a reclaiming where i was like hey instead of using the same like spelling that like all these historical maps there's like different spellings right of like like okay the guangdong province here is spelled like k w a n g T-U-N-G because that's what the first like white trap like settlers and were like we don't know how to spell this they said they said this <laughs> word to me that's what it sounds like that's what I'm gonna write on paper
1: yeah I mean even to this day it irks me a little bit that I had to go look for a Peking duck house to get like my mm-hmm. Beijing roast duck, yeah you know
2: yeah and it's it comes down to like like fucking nap is like the like <laughs> the and how are you gonna spell it how are you gonna pronounce it but it's like but because that hard, like, like when you see it's very specific to restaurants, right? Because Peking duck, P-E-K-I-N-G has what the term has been popularized. Right. And it's very interesting, too, when you look at like the like time period of when the immigrants came over and that's when they started like naming their dishes. So there's a lot of people who are used to like the spelling of like with the P,
1: right, yeah. for like
2: Peking duck. Um, or like
1: Sichuan. Like, yeah, yeah. Z, right. <laughs> Instead mm-hmm. of Sichuan mm-hmm. with the SI. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's it's really funny because like yesterday I, I I tweeted saying romanization makes absolutely no sense. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> everything
0: is made up. <laughs> everything is made up. And I love the fact that you like mentioned like reclaiming like our language. And yeah, like even though we're romanizing in in like the modern sense, it's like, well, we know what it actually sounds like. (laughs) We have have the authority to Romanize it because we're Asian American. Yeah.
2: And that whole, like writing this as an Asian American was very, like, it felt very meaningful to me, like unpacking, like, like my experience in the diaspora and like, what does it mean for me to be writing this book set during this time and for like my experience is like i'm not a mainland chinese person i'm not like a full vietnamese person but i'm i'm the mix of all these different experiences so like i'm bringing my perspective to the table um and like i think that's something i, I don't know the feeling of being lost uh, or like not quite fitting in is something that i think resonates with people you know regardless of they're if they're part of part of a diaspora or like if they're queer or if they're, you know, in 1826 and want to find more.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you did a great job. The book is so much fun. It's action adventure, romance, um, thrilling fight scenes, naval battles. Um <laughs> yeah, congratulations. And this is, the, is this is the first book of the remake classic series, right?
2: Yes, yeah. we also have um, um so many beginnings which is launching the same day. Um, and that is a little woman remix, um, by Bethany C. Morrill. And it is amazing. Highly recommend, um, this novel, which takes, um, you know, the four March sisters are now four um, black girls living in, uh, in a free people's colony. And it's wow. absolutely amazing. Um, and then the next book in the series is, um, travelers along the way, which is, um, written by Amina May Safi, and it's, um, you know, you have, like, a Muslim Robin Hood set during the time of the Crusades.
1: Wow. This is just so I, much, like, I want Hollywood to take note. This, this is how you remake a <laughs> property, just by remixing and not just, like, giving it the same thing over and over. That's yeah, an amazing.
0: Yeah, I, I love how we're seeing, like, historical fiction more from, like, a marginalized voice and... Um, yeah, like when you, when you look up period pieces on Netflix, it's just all European period pieces. It's a very specific like, period. Yeah, or like you know Chinese dramas, like the Imperial Palace, and it's like, okay, I can only watch so many of these. <laughs> like, I really, like, I really wish that I could see more. Um, particularly because I am really into fashion history, and it's mm-hmm. like I really want to see the cool clothes. Like, where <laughs> are they? Um, but we are winding down to the end of our time and I just have to ask you if you had a pirate ship what would the ship be called? Cuz oh ship names are a big deal. They are a big deal.
2: It's it's funny that like like okay so I when I was I wrote the novel and then I was like oh no I have to name all these ships. <laughs> and so that that was kind of like the sec like the last step where I named like um you know the the merchant ship, I named the the warship that Chiangpo sai um uh sails, and I named like the Huenvu, like uh so that's actually like that's the Vietnamese um words for the black tortoise, which is one of the four mythological animals. Um uh, so that was a specific choice. And then um the golden carp um is the is the first ship that Xiang sets foot on when she's leaving. Um and I thought that was fun because she's like a carp becomes dragon. And like um and then you have like the the iron wrath and um um had a I definitely had to have a a a dragon
0: ship in there. Um of course I mean this is a book set in Asia. You have to have (laughs) dragons in there. (laughs) Um, if I were to have a ship,
2: I think I don't know, I would probably name it something fun. Like because I don't I I I I don't see myself as like this ship needs to be really badass and fierce. Um, yeah,
1: I feel like if CB yeah. has a ship it's going to be a party ship.
0: A
2: party yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know, maybe I would name my ship like the Round Seal or, or like um something fun and uh, warm and inviting. Yeah. That
0: sounds yeah, that Can't sounds really cool. party
1: on the Round Seal. <laughs> One day, one day. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us uh once again on Books and Mobile. I guess what are you working on right now? Can you can you plug like what's next for you?
2: Sure. So um a Clash of Steel is available now. Um uh feel free to order from any uh your local bookstore. Um there's um and then next year in uh 2022, um the last book in the sidekick squad series Not Your Hero will be out um so that's what i'm working on now which is um you know it's it's been very emotional to like write the final chapter in the series um and i'm really thankful for like you know it's it's fun like like that like we're talking now because it feels like a bookend of like you know I, i i i chatted with you guys at the start with with not your sidekick and then um not your hero will be the the like finishing the story and coming full circle um so that will be out in 2022, and then in 2023, um, my coffee shop in an alternate universe novel will be uh, released, which is um, a contemporary fantasy about two girls who um, who are dating while the multiverse is colliding.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. We we actually just announced that um, book deal on our last book news episode. So yeah, congratulations on that too. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it'll be really fun and nerdy. I'm excited <laughs> about it.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I love that you're expanding your genres as well from, like, uh, I guess, like, post-apocalyptic <laughs> to, like, historical fiction to contemporary fantasy. Um, I love that I've been able to see you grow as as a writer, um, just comparing, like, Not Your Sidekick and A Clash of Steel. I mean, they're totally different genres, but I was like, wow, CB has, like, really matured as a writer and it's just really great to see and i feel really honored to be a part of like your your journey you know like oh, uh, having you, you on so our much. show and everything
2: yeah yeah it's been wonderful to be a part of this journey like like have like i think just w- reflecting on like five years of the psychic squad and, and since not your psychic has come out like it really has been so wonderful to be a part of like the asian american community and how uplifting everybody is about like creative work. And I honestly did not expect like the book to have the reach that it did. And that in part is like possible by like amazing folks like you, like the Books and Boba podcast and like, you know, like like the amazing folks at, at Cape and like all the like wonderful people who are working hard every day to like uplift other voices in, in our community. And so um it's it's been it's been a great journey. I'm 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 happy to be a part of your
1: journey. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we try our best. Thank you so much for joining us, um, CB. Um, and yeah, good luck on all your future endeavors. Um, and everyone should read Clash of Steel. It's awesome. Thank you. All right. And that was our interview with CB Lee. Her book, A Clash of Steel, came out this past week. So it's available at booksellers everywhere. So check it out. If you do feel like purchasing it online, um, might I suggest checking out the and Book Bookshop book Page, where we feature every book that's ever been on our podcast As well as a ton of meticulously curated lists by Rira Purchases on our bookshop.org page does benefit not only us here at Books and Boba But also your local bookstores um, so yeah, check it out. Uh, you can check out our bookshop.org page at bookshop.org slash shop slash books and boba.
0: And I highly recommend that if you are planning to purchase books uh, in during the holiday season or you know, buying books for uh, for other people as presents, do it early because there is a supply chain issue going oh. on right now. And you might not get your book for maybe a month maybe a little bit over a month so pre-order and buy books that you really want this holiday season it is the best way to support independent bookstores and local authors during this trying time
1: all right rira remind us what we're reading for the month of september
0: we are reading chemistry by wiki wang Marvin, you've had this on your bookshelf for quite a long time and it's totally my fault that we did not read it for this book club sooner. (laughs) You know what?
1: Better later than never. And I'm super excited to talk to you about this book. It is bringing out a lot of feelings. Um,
0: Yeah. yeah. There was
1: a time when I did consider doing academia as a a, a career path.
0: Oh, no way.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I did enjoy school. So the the idea of doing school forever did sound a little appealing at one point. Um, But, you know, as with any other career, um, it is one filled with um, trials yeah, and tribulations. Uh, But yeah, we'll be discussing that book next week on this podcast. So stick around. If you've already finished the book, please let us know your thoughts on our Goodreads forums. And you know what? We should mention now before we forget. But next week will be our fifth anniversary. Yeah, it'll be our 60th book for this podcast, which is wild I imagine. I mean,
0: think about five. it, Marvin. You, like, before we started this podcast, you had no books by Asian authors on your bookshelf. And now I you have so many. I have all so of many. them.
1: I have all of them. So many. <laughs>
0: it's not even just 60, because you've received books for author interviews as well. So it's, it's yeah. way more than 60.
1: We've read so many books, which is great. I'm glad that I can finally be, like, you know, even though I'm not the most literary person, I can say I am a You, a you are
0: not allowed to say that anymore, because <laughs> I can guarantee that you've read more books than, like, most people <laughs> in your circle of friends at <laughs> Probably.
1: this point. And on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Global. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to C.B. Lee for being our first three-peat guest. And, yeah, thanks, Rue, for five years of reading
0: yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you next time.
1: Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the Book Club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Booksandboba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian american hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website PodcastPotluck.com. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi, I'm Quincy Cho. And I'm Kay Khan Apu. And we host Marvel Makeup. It's a podcast where I teach Quincy a little about Marvel. And I teach Kay a little bit about makeup. Join us as we watch and talk about every movie and TV show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I'm mostly watching for the first time. And join us as we apply makeup stuff to our faces, which I'm using for the first time. Marvel Makeup is part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, and you can find new episodes every other Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can catch video versions of Marvel and Makeup on our YouTube channel. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And please give us five stars so our Asian moms will understand why we buy so much electronic equipment. Because it's for this podcast,
2: Marvel and Makeup.